You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast, Nottinghamshire Live. My name is Matt Davis and we're continuing our series of summer chats with uh, famous forest names. And I'd like to be joined today by comedian and uh, podcaster and famous fan, Matt Ford. Matt, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No, it's great. Great to have you on. Really uh, grateful for you joining us. Um, as we were saying before we started recording, you're sporting, for people who can't see us and listening, you're sporting a very tremendous 1990 Umbro England third kit. Yeah, it's that which... blue shimmery top. It's the lovely... Um... It's actually a fake knockoff. <laughs> 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 They're basically impossible to get. So it's... Uh... Fake one off the internet, but I well, they're not cheap as long as we don't tell anyone. I don't think anyone will find out. No, no one needs to know that. No one needs to know that. But it kind of leads into what we were going to talk about mostly about forests is that we are both uh the same age. Uh, in fact, we were saying for our email addresses are freakishly similar before we recorded <laughs> yeah. this. Um, we're children of the 90s and you're sporting a 90s shirt. Is that where your forest love affair began? The late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, exactly the same. So born in 1982. I kind of vague. I, I think seven is, they say, isn't there? You know, that, that's the age people get into football at. That summer of 1990 really was what cemented it. So my family were Forest fans, my granddad and my uncle in particular. And I remember the fuss around 1989. I remember them going to cup finals and things. But as a kid, it hadn't quite, um, it sort of felt like it was over there a bit. You know, it was on telly, but I wasn't desperate for it. And then... 1990 really changed everything in that summer with Italian 19, knowing that Forest players were there, particularly Stuart Pearce, and that's where my real love for him started. Um, from then on, I was absolutely hooked. So 1990, the summer, obviously England lose on penalties in the semi-final. Then the following summer, Forest are in the FA Cup final. And already, you know, by a summer later, by the summer of 1991, I felt like I'd been a Forest fan all my life. No, by that point, I was the passion had absolutely taken hold, and from then on, that was it. Uh, you know, and thirty years later, that that passion is undiminished. I mean, if anything, I think at times I've been more desperate for Forest to win than than ever before, and I think that's partly because of where we are, and obviously, not the season just gone, the season before came so close, and I think that's been so frustrating. Is for people of our generation, we grew up with... I mean, obviously, the generation before remember us being champions of Europe. But you grow up with that being fairly recent history. But you do remember us being in the Premier League and being a big club and winning stuff and challenging for things and having stars. And now that that's not the case, I still think it, it, you never really fully get used to it. I think it, it must be for, like, so many things. You know, you, you <laughs> your first impression of Forrest as a kid is... We're a big club. And I, I think if you grow up with that, it, it never leaves you. It's probably very different for people growing up now. that They, they probably have a different perception. Um, but I can never... I, I still deep down feel like we're a Premier League club, even though, you know, the last 22 years prove otherwise. What was your... Um first game because mine I, I didn't grow up in Nottingham I'm a Forest fan but I grew up in Shropshire and I remember my granddad took me to watch Shrewsbury v Bournemouth in 1990 and I remember walking up the steps of the Gay Meadow the old Gay Meadow and thinking bloody hell this is like the mass this is massive this is incredible and of course it's tiny um but it was like the best thing ever and that feeling still stuck with me I can remember it clearly now I'm quite jealous that your first game must have been a Forest game I mean what are your first impressions and first memories of actually seeing them yeah, it was a Forest game. It was Forest Sunderland in November of 1990. So it must have been a birthday present. 
I stood in the old Bridgeford end on the cop. But that was when both ends of Forest were terraced. And uh, I, I tell you what, I do remember being scared in the run-up because it was not long after Hillsborough and I just di I didn't want to stand. And I'd never been to a football match before. And obviously what I'd seen on the news was that standing was very dangerous. So it, it was the first thing that I remember as a kid thinking, are they sure? You know, you don't question your, your, your mother's authority as a child. At that age, but I remember just sort of in the background thinking, I don't really feel... Obviously, you get to the cop and it was, there was plenty of space, you know, it was absolutely fine. But just, it's the same thing you had at Shrewsbury. And obviously at Forest, it was even bigger. You've never seen that amount of people all in the same space before. There were 20-odd thousand people there that day. For a seven-year-old, that's overwhelming. And they're all in the same space. And it's big and it's loud. And, you know, the executive stand sort of towering away to you to your right. And the, you know, the, I remember more than anything the smells, the smell of the grass stood near the front, the smell of the burgers as you go over Trent Bridge, the, the piss and the terrible toilets at the back of the stand <laughs> and people just swearing and smoke getting in your eyes and all that. And just you forget the sight lines are terrible when you're a kid. So if you, unless you're down at the front, really, you're, you're not really watching the game. You're kind of watching the game, but you're just you're, you're gawping everywhere else. It's just this overwhelming it's more that, you know, people think going to the cinema is incredible. It's just, it's overload. And on top of that, these men that are gods that you idolise, Stuart Pearce, Nigel Clough, Brian Clough, are there. And when they take a corner at your end, you know, your end when you're behind the goal, you can see them. You can hear them talking to each other. That is, you know, you're only there for an hour and a half, that game. And bang, what an experience as a kid. There's all these people there. There's all this swear, all the da-da-da. And on top of that, this thing you're obsessed with is now happening and you're part of it. I just, I, I remember that day probably more vividly than any other day. I, I'm trying to think of anything up to the age of seven that, that I have those memories with, or even in the years in, after until adolescence, really. It, it's an incredible thing. And we won 2-0, thankfully, as Steve Chettle and Nigel Clough scored. And uh, from then on, I mean, yes, if, if I was hooked after watching it on telly, after going, I was just then totally, completely hopelessly addicted and just wanted to go all the time. Um, and uh, and I just think kids who don't go to, you know, if you, and fans who don't get to go to games or don't want to go to games, you're totally missing out on the whole point. It's not the same unless you're there. And obviously the, the last year and a half has really proven that is it, it's not the, the, something about football culture and being there that is fundamental to what football is. It's not just about watching it on telly it's not just about seeing what the final score is it's a form of entertainment and being there is is to really appreciate the full joy of it so i just can't wait to be back will you view it differently when you get back i know that you um i think i read you shielded for quite a long time at the start of the the pandemic i mean how would you think you, you'll feel when you actually walk back through those gates it might be a bit like being a kid again I th oh that's a really good question actually i mean i think I'm not entirely sure I'm ready to go to a full stadium yet, just because mm. for the reasons you say, I, I shielded. I've had both my jabs now, um, but I, I'm still wary of, I guess, the whole last year and a half. You don't know what other people have been up to. So you might say, well, I've washed my hands and I've made sure that I've kept two metres and I've had either one or two jabs. But the bloke next to you in the urinal or at the bar, you, you don't know. So I think, although you're, out, you're sort of outdoors at football, aren't you? And equally, I just think, as long as the numbers are fine. Oh, what am I talking about? I think I'll just go anyway. I just can't wait. Um, 
and yes, I think that that first one back is going to be incredible. And I think that'd be true for football matches everywhere. And even the ones recently they've had where they've only allowed a quarter of people in. But I think the first full stadium back at the City Ground, that first game back, is going to be ballistic. I think the atmosphere is going to be real. It'll have a real retro feel about it. And, uh, oh, God, I just want to be there now. I'm getting excited <laughs> just thinking about it. I mean, well, I think... I get a, a, um, a, a emotional. I don't know if they're right, but the thing, you know, the hair on the next stand up when you hear the the video um, that Johnny Owen did before the game, and then Moll of oh, Kintyre before that a derby video. game. Yeah, you, you're not fighting back tears, but you can feel, you know, the arm, you know, the hair on your neck, and all that stuff. But actually, I think there's going to be a lot of tears, aren't there, when Moll of Kintyre fires up when there is oh, a yeah. full round? Because actually, all these things, you know, the reason why, without wanting to get like all sort of anthropological about it. The reason why football is so important to people is it, so much of it is about identity and where you're from. And I'm proud to be from Nottingham and I'm proud to support Nottingham Forest. And we chant, we are Nottingham. Like it's about who we are. It's not just about whether we win a game or not. This is, there are our representatives on the pitch. This is about us and, and what we choose to say about ourselves. And it's fundamental to my identity that I'm a Forest fan. And every other Forest fan will feel the same, I'm sure. So being deprived of that, is for the last year or so has been deprived of part of our personality and part of our identity. We've been able to watch Forest on iFollow or, you know, the occasions we've been on Sky, but we've not been there together. And the club is the fans. It is the team and it is the owners and everything else. But more than anything, it's the fans. And the fans haven't been able to be together. And we are Nottingham Forest. And we've been able to watch the team play for us. But as a club, we've not been together. And that's been very, very difficult because you realise... I mean, I always knew how important it was to me, as every football fan does. But when you can't go, you really feel it. And um, I think, yes, for the, for the reasons you said, I think those first ones back, the first time you sing Mull of Kintyre, just the first time you're in there, the teams walk out. And that video, that Johnny Owen video, is one of the most exquisite pieces of propaganda I've ever seen. <laughs> it is, I remember yeah. when he made it and he... he <laughs> he's obviously a good friend of mine. He goes, oh, well, I'll send you a link. I made this pre-match video. <laughs> That's a terrible impression of him. He sent it me on Vimeo. So it was like on a private link. And he said to me, he said, I, I think someone's got hold of that link because uh, it's private, but it's had like 3,000 views. <laughs> I was like, mate, I, I think they're all me. I just keep, <laughs> I haven't circulated it. I just keep watching it. Every time I get drunk, I'm like, watch this video. And when, uh, what I've loved recently is on the games before kickoff at the end of the season, when you could hear it playing in the background. I watch that quite a lot, that video. I just think it sums up who we are as Forest and our great history and the music and everything about it. And those great goals, those great moments. Um, so, yes, those being be able to be back, see that on the big screen and then hear the opening bars of Underworld, Born Slippy and all that. Just, <laughs> oh, man. There's something special about that. And then, of course, Mull of Kintyre. Crikey. God, I can't wait. Everyone thinks their football club's special. Uh, I actually, I live in Leicester. In fact, my son says he likes Leicester more than Forest. He's five. Oh. I, he's, he's, I know, he's trolling me. I took, took, my daughter to watch, <laughs> I took my daughter to watch Forest uh, going off on a tangent. I took her too early and she got bored. Again, again, it was Chris Cohen's last game. It was a very dull game, a nil-nil against Bristol City. And um, now she's saying to the dinner table, like, Thomas, do you like Nottingham or Leicester more? And he goes, Leicester. 
So I'm already worried about that. But anyway, um, <laughs> Leicester fans think their club special. Derby fans think their club special. But do you think Forest is genuinely a special club when you've got the history of it? And Nottingham itself is a bit of a different city, the whole the Rebel City vibe. Do you think Forest is actually a, a different kind of football club in a sense? 100%. We, Nottingham Forest exists in a, in a, in a, basically in a republic in football. There, there's no other club that has the reputation that we have and the history that we have. And you know this when you talk to fans of other clubs. Talk to taxi drivers in London and tell them you're a Forest fan. And oh my God, they go absolutely... Forest, mate, that's a proper football club. Oh, Claffy was different, wasn't he? What a geezer. And you realise, oh, my, it's when you're out of Nottingham and you talk to the people about it. And if you said I was a Derby fan, oh, they wouldn't be that bothered. People, and you talk to people all over the country and said, I had a Forest shirt. The amount of people I meet that support different clubs, but in the 70s or 80s had a Forest shirt. I've got, I, I meet so many people who say that. People a bit older than me, maybe sort of 40 and up, who say, oh, I had a Forest shirt. People in Scotland, wherever you go, you can tell by the reaction and you can tell actually if you're in a group of mates and they say, oh, you know, you get onto football and say, oh, I'm a Forest fan. It does get a different reaction to your friends who say, oh, I'm Everton or whatever. So Leicester and Derby don't come even near. I mean, to be fair to Leicester, obviously winning the Premier League the year and then winning the FA Cup this year. Winning the FA Cup's good. Winning the FA, winning the Premier League, to be fair to them, is huge. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't have the same romance about it that Forest had because it didn't go as far and it didn't go as quick and they didn't come from where we'd come from. So... I think that's part of it. I think as well, Nottingham, as you say, in terms of the East Midlands, it's seen as more, basically it was the stag do capital of England. Well, yeah, I mean, it still <laughs> might be. So I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people have a lot of fondness for Nottingham. And of course, with the cricket, it just has more of a sporting history and with, with Meadow Lane as well. So I just think for sports fans, Nottingham's it. Nottingham's a complete, it just happens to be next to Derby and Leicester. Other than our geography, really, we have nothing in common. Football, football-wise and stature-wise, Forest operate in a in a level with for for some generations Liverpool and Man United, Leicester and Derby could never say that. I remember the first time I met a Forest player. I hung around outside Vale Park. Um, it must have been nineteen ninety nine when Platt was manager, um, and I met Ian Woe, and I remember saying, "You're not going, are you?" And he said, "No," and he's gone the next week. <laughs> He lied to your face. What's all that lies to a child? Exactly, exactly. But I got a signed program, and I still have it somewhere. Lovely Um, autograph, Ian Wone. Lovely circular autograph. Ah, there you go. We're creative, isn't he? It's a left-footed thing, probably. (laughs) I'm left-handed, and my writing's terrible. Um, That was my first meeting with the Forest player. Do you? I guess you recall meeting your heroes, Pierce and Clough, for the first time, and other players. Do you? Oh yeah. I mean they, they, they. and they are, even now, even if I'm anyone who's played for Forest, obviously I do the Reservoir Red Dogs podcast with with Paul McGregor. Anyone who's played for Forest, I really don't, obviously I would rather them have done well in a Forest shirt than not. But anyone who's worn it, I just think, is it a really special group of people? That this is a, the club I care about the most and they've played for it. Even if they've just come on for a minute as a sub and then got immediately subbed off, they wore that shirt on the pitch in a proper game. And obviously that's particularly true for the ones who are, Gods, Pierce like Pierce and players like Pierce and managers like Clough. And um, we used to go down to the training ground as kids. My mum would walk us down with the kids off the street under Lady Bay Bridge and those fields. Obviously, they're down at the Doughty Academy now, but back then, you could just get onto the training ground when Frank Clark was manager. I'd be Colin Moore there and Pierce and, and Brian Roy, Colin Cooper, Ian Wone. And uh, he, I don't think he told any lies to me that day. Steve Stone. <laughs> They could just get the raw 
to grab some mill around with him and just, you know, obviously just realise how big they are. I mean, obviously I, I, I was a mascot for a game of <laughs> this story so many times, but I met Cluffy as a kid. I was a mascot for, for one of his last games, Forest against Palace in 93, uh, the 3rd of March, 93. So it would have been one of the last home games that season. And uh, I had really bad eczema on my face and, and he was not in a good way. But um, I was just so nervous. And being in the dressing room with, you know, being in the changing room with them was just overwhelming. Some of them were naked. You're like, what? As a kid, you just, <laughs> I, I, you just totally, I felt like I'd wandered into the wrong place and no one was really telling me where I was meant to be. In fact, and that played out because I wasn't sure where I was meant to be and the team went out without me and I walked out with a ref. I, just, <laughs> I, I was too nervous to kind of say, uh, sort of stood in the tunnel. And um, anyway, I've still got extra to this day, but uh, I got interviewed to cl- uh, in in introduced to Clough. And uh, they say, oh, Matthew, this is Mr. Clough. Mr. Clough, this is the mascot, Matthew. And he went, bloody hell, son, you are an ugly bugger. He's <laughs> like nine or ten years old. I said, oh, uh, 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 Mr. Clough, I'm only joking, young man. Give you Grandad Brian a kiss. <laughs> and Give me a kiss. And then um, that was it. He said, what have you been doing all afternoon? Ed, but in pizzas. I said, oh, I've got eczema. I've got eczema. I was so nervous anyway as a kid, let alone as a ten-year-old. And then uh, he takes me into the physio's room and he goes, we've got anything for this young man's face. He's just like, what, Brian? Could... Give me this stuff called Betnovate, which is mega strong stuff, but it cleared it up. And um, I had to see Dr. Quote. Yes, he gives me this stuff called Betnovate, which is really strong stuff. And I had to see um, my doctor regularly back then. So it, it, it was miracle cream. And he said, oh, crikey, you know, this, uh... I'm not sure he said crikey. He said, the, uh, really cleared <laughs> up. Have you changed your diet? Have you taken wheat out or dairy? I said, no, 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 I've used Betnovate. He said, you cannot put that on your face. It can thin the skin and cause skin cancer. It's steroid-based. It, I think they tested it on horses. Where on earth did you get it? I said, oh, um, Brian Clough gave it me. And he went, oh, you met Cluffy? And my mum was like, hold on. Can we t- never mind whether he met Cluffy or not. What he's putting on his face, is his face going to, like, fall off? But basically, Cluffy, Cluffy cured my eczema. And then um, years later, I got a beautiful photo of him and me on the day. There's a photographer, um, John Sumter, I think still the club photographer, and uh, it's of him in his green jumper hugging me in my forest kit, that pinstripe 92-93 shirt. And when he brought out Walking on Water, his second book, I queued up at WH Smiths in Nottingham and got it signed. And I took the photo that day and I said, oh, um, can you sign this photo as well, please, Mr. Clough? And he looked at the photo and he went, oh, I looked a lot better back then. So did you, you fat bastard. (laughs) (laughs) And signed it, I thought. The only two times I properly met him and he uh, he really, he insulted me both times, but he gave me a couple of great stories. Uh, when did you, I guess you live down south now because of work. I mean, when did you stop going to Forest regularly or have you always been able to go to, to most games? When I first moved to London, it became a bit harder, but I was still able to pretty much get up. I mean, obviously being a comedian, you work nights and weekends are particularly busy. And then... The main problem for me was, as well as gigging, I was then doing radio shows during the day. So I was at Talk Sport for many years on Saturdays, and now I do Absolute Radio every Saturday, rock and roll football. And that's on during the games. That's two till five every Saturday. So I can't really do Saturday games. I can watch on iFollow. But I just then try and get to as many London away games as I can. So I've been regularly to places like Charlton and Millwall. Chelsea in the Cup, God knows how many times. Um, because they're off a midweek, so that makes it a lot easier, cup game. So if we get a London team in a midweek game, then that's ideal for me. Um, but I, I, I get up to the city ground as often as I can, and we'll take Saturdays off 
I'm only allowed a few off a year, but I'll take the occasional one off to be able to come up. But I, on a good season, I'll, I'll get to eight or nine games, which actually is terrible because I had a season ticket for years. And the moment you stop having a season ticket, you feel like you've been excommunicated. You feel like you don't know what's going on. You're like, oh God. You don't feel like a real fan, to be honest. I mean, I know I love Forrest as much as I ever have, and I feel it deeply. And the fact that we're not in the Premier League drives me mad. Um, but I, I I feel slightly detached from it because I'm not there. And, uh, when you've been a season to give holder and, and one for a long time, and it's like a big part of your life, your week revolves around it. To then not have that, it's basically like stopping going to church or leaving a job. You're you're kind of you're at arm's length, and that that kind of makes me sad really because there's nothing I'd love more than to be able to go to every forest game. Oh yeah. I know what you mean. I remember the only time I really went regularly was when I was at uni in Leicester. Um, I ended up sticking around next to my wife, but going to watching the poor heart team. Week oh, after week. Wow. That, I mean, that's my team. You know, Andy Reed is my Stuart Pierce to you. If you know what I mean, watching yeah. that, that side and you do feel disconnected. Like you say, when you, you don't go regularly, do you think you're, Fan experience has evolved as well. Now you work in the media, like you say, you're mates with Johnny O and you know players. Are you a different kind of fan now? Because you view players probably a bit more human. Probably from, you know, probably your Twitter feed makes you a bit more, uh, how you can view players a bit more sympathy because you probably get loads of abuse on Twitter and now you know how players feel. Does that yeah. change your fan experience? To be honest, no, because I'm the sort of football fan that loves the day out and just wants to see goals. I just want to see us win. And um, I'm not a great knowledge on the sport, and I don't pretend to be. And conversations about false nines and all the rest of it, it's not what I'm in the market for. It's not what I came here for. I came here to be in the pub at 11, to have three or four hours in the pub, mucking about with friends, taking the piss out of each other, getting to the game, probably just missing kickoff, bouncing around for an hour and a half, going mad when we score, and then going back into town afterwards and just having a great fun day out. And it exists in that place for me is it's a great excuse for a load of people to get together and enjoy themselves. So I don't sit there as some sort of chin stroking theatre critic looking at football because I don't I don't understand it on that level. I'm not that sort of um guy. And 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 the, the show that I do on absolute reflects that. It's kind of it's all just about <laughs> having fun and getting ballistic when goals are scored. Um and I was never, in terms of knowing players and whether that changes my perspective. I was never one of the sorts of fans that really got on players' backs anyway because I've always, as I said, I think anyone who plays for the club is is a god and I want them to do well. I, I never wanted to boo them or, like, make it harder for them. And uh, so, no, it, it, it hasn't. I mean, obviously, I have a perspective on what it's like to be on social media, which some players can probably relate to. But I just think if you're on social media and you have any sort of opinion on literally anything, including how strong you like your tea then you're going to get a load of tripe anyway. So you have to be philosophical about that. But yeah, for me, I'm exactly the same sort of fan, actually. I'm unchanged. I'm, I watch it as I did when I was 10 years old. I go thinking the people who wear that shirt on the pitch are titans. And I want them to score more than anything. And I go balmy when they score. And I basically still have the mind of a child. Um, is that why you think 90s football is better? Because... There was no XG and there was no, you know, final third penetrations and, you know, key passes and all that stuff, which I have a passing interest in, but I think way too much is made of it. I mean, was 90s football just a bit simpler and Forrest was just 
better and everyone just enjoyed it more? I think 90s football culture was better. I mean, equally, we should, on that point, there are, there are ways in which it's hugely improved. I mean, I still remember hearing in the 90s far more widespread racist comments than I do when I go to Forest now. So in that regard, things are better, even though there is still a mountain to climb in that regard. I guess that has improved. So that's something in terms of the fan experience. Um, so that's been a positive change. I just think the country was different in the 90s and football culture was different. The atmosphere was more intense. Uh, it was more of a... I mean, the standard of football now in the Premier League, obviously, is way better than anything that has gone before. It, it, it's exceptional, the standard of professional football now. They are proper athletes. They do everything in their power to be the very best athletes they could be. I guess in the 90s... We saw some exceptionally talented players and many who took it very, very seriously. But it felt closer to the people then and it felt more fun. And uh, obviously the crucial thing was that Forrest were finishing third in the Premier League, getting to the quarterfinals of uh, the UEFA Cup, beating big teams in the FA Cup. We were still a big deal then. So as a Forrest fan, of course the 90s were better because we were... We were stars back then. We were part of the England team. You think of those years between 1990 and around 1996, and you've got Stuart Pearce captain in England. You've got him scoring in an FA Cup final. You've got him get you know, part of a team that finishes third, that then uh, you're in 96, gets to the semi-final. It's like, this is just, Steve Stone was part of that squad. Of course they were better days for Forest fans. It, what, will, what will make anything better will be Forest getting good again. That's when... Uh, you know, you, you obviously, that Paul Hart side was great. You know, that that was really the last exciting side that we had because we almost got promoted and the way that we played football. Um, any team that does better than that, obviously, will, will by, by definition, uh, be far more exciting because we'll be back, hopefully, in the Premier League. And, and that is, that's what's crucial is... You, <sighs> It drives me mad that we're not there. And I can't stand these football fans who say, oh, the championship's a better league. Usually supporters of teams that aren't in it or supporters of teams, frankly, smaller than Nottingham Forest. I think for Forest, it's it's a source of huge torment, uh, particularly fans of our generation and older. It's a constant reminder that we are underachieving. It's a constant reminder that we used to be a big deal. And that is, it, it really does. And I think so many people will, will agree with this. I hope, because otherwise I just sound painfully immature. But part of my life is kind of unsatisfied, unfulfilled. I feel actually like I'm underachieving by Forrest. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> I need to sort this out because this is the part of my life that's driving me berserk at the moment. And I have no power over it, as we don't as fans. I'll just get in the Premier League and I can move on and think about something else. It drives me berserk. Oh, it really niggles away at me like a. I can't. I can't explain it. I think Forest fans know. You talk about torment. Absolutely. I mean, we we talk about the good years there and underachieving. What about your memories of the mid two thousands? Megson, Kinnear, League One. Uh, how brutal was that for you then? League One player? was just beyond bleak, because every year in the Championship, and we're going through this now, is. Or maybe next season. Rebuild in the summer, maybe next season. Now, actually, I think that's a far more logical... I mean, to be fair, under Paul Hart, why that side was ever dismantled is berserk. Because I think... And you talk to members of that squad, they're all convinced they'd have gone up the following season. I think they're right. So it's Reedy or DJ, Marlon, Prutz. They will all tell you 
that side was onto something and they left that semi-final guttered, but kind of feeling like they talk about that, like Oasis talk about when they were on their way up. And it would basically be like someone saying after Oasis did main road, Oh, actually we're going to sell Liam Gallagher now. He's off. And you'd be like, what? No, no, no. This is just about to, this is just about to reach its peak. And it felt like that's what happened with that side was it was dismantled just as, as a machine. It, it, it came so close. And so much of football is luck, of course. But I think that team would have gone on automatic the following season. We were absolutely... I think, actually, that midfield that we had under Paul Hart was probably better than most midfields in the Premier League at that time. It, it was an exceptional midfield. Anyway, the League One years were just terrible because then there was no next season. You were always at least two seasons away from the Premier League. And obviously, as it's banned out, a lot more than that. So that was just terrible. That was like having to like pay off a big debt. That was like, oh God, we're stuck with this for a while now. And even if, that's the problem is, even if you clear that debt, you've paid all that money back, you're still back to zero. You're not actually accruing money. You're just paying it off. So when we got promoted, after three years in League One, that last day was great because I, I think most people at the time thought we'd probably have to do it through the playoffs. So that game against Yeovil, which was sweet revenge for the year before, was great. And the Guggen and Commons was superb. And it had a real party about it. But even that, it was like, great, we're out of League One. And it was a good party. And you'd rather see yourself get promoted than not, especially as it took us three goes. But at the back of your mind, you still thought, it does feel weird to be delighted to get promoted to the championship. So it just felt a bit like, okay, this is good. We're on the way now. Um, but the League One years were just bleak. Terrible football against terrible sides. A real lack of atmosphere. Just it, Forest at that place, I think, felt kind of haunted. I used to have a season to keep behind the goal in the Trent end. And I loved it because for all the reasons that I described at the start. I just loved the day out. So I'll always enjoy going to Forest. But it was like, oh, man, this... That felt like we were kind of in free fall at that time. And there wasn't much to get excited about. Apart from Commons and McGugan and, you know, Junior Rogogo, there were some players that really turned it on. Tyson. Um... But it was crap. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> I know. I remember going to like Tranmere away and being delighted we won one 0 when Grant Holt bundled one in from three yards or something. But yeah, those were those were the days. I mean, what do you want from next season's team? Because um, I mean, I want to before my son is lost to Leicester City, I want to try and take him at the end of next season. So I would like it to be an exciting team that yeah. scores goals. I mean, what would you like to see from Chris Hewitt inside next year? Well, promotion. More than anything. And I don't care how we do it anymore. I mean, I, I realise as Forest fans, we operate in that place where you're kind of... Uh, now it's just like, just win. Whatever it takes, win. And then I just know, let's say we win our first 20 games, 1-0. There will inevitably be party that starts going, oh, it's a bit long ball, isn't it? It's a bit not great to watch, you know? So there's always going to be that part of you as a Forest fan. We're probably the most pure, in terms of the football purists, you, you won't get people that appreciate proper football more than Forest. It's hardwired into our DNA. It's part of what Forest is. It's like, we play football properly here. Um, that said, I'm just sick of, you know, ev trying everything else. Just let's just win at all costs now. And um, obviously, if we can play attractive, exciting football. That was a, a great added bonus. But I will happily grind out 40-odd one nils to, to win the league. I just want to get promoted more than anything. Everything else is secondary, is automatic, if not playoffs, if not shit. You know, oh, fucking hell. 
It's another year in this division. With three new Premier League teams coming down next year with parachute payments and the other ones that didn't quite do it in the playoffs. It gets harder every year. Oh, I just want us to go up more than anything. And I, and I, I actually think we're so close. I think the owners are absolutely serious. I think the manager is great and has a track record of getting teams promoted. I think we've got some great players and we'll bring in some great ones, I hope. And you think, actually, we have a grounding that very few clubs have. This should absolutely be able to work. We should be able to get promoted this season. Which so please, just do it. If you're out there listening, please, God, make it happen. Which players do you like now? Do you see another Stuart Pearce on the horizon in terms of someone fans can love or not? Well, I mean, I think Knockhart's fantastic. I mean, I'd love Garner to stay. I mean, he just slotted straight in. He was superb. Knockhart's fantastic. Lolly, I have a, a real love for. And I think this season, a lot of teams figured him out. But I think when Lolly really fires, he's so exciting to watch. Kravinovic looks great. So we've got some really exciting, particularly going forward, really exciting uh, players. Obviously, Graben didn't have a great season. The season before, you can't argue with his numbers. So he's a, he's a proven goal scorer. But I love, I think, Knockhart, Garner... I really rate Ryan Yates. I think he's an absolute Trojan. He's a really talented footballer. And if, if you're talking about the spirit of Stuart Pearce, Ryan Yates is the closest thing. He will put his face in harm's way. That is a man who, that is a man who does not respect danger. And obviously, well, Bree Samba as well. Like what, probably the best keeper we've had for a long time. We've always had really good keepers at Forest. Joe Worrell. I mean, Worrell actually is probably the closest thing to a Pierce. And he's a real leader. And Yates is brave and strong. Worrell is clearly a leader. And clearly has leadership qualities. And runs the team. And he's big and strong. Crucial, actually. I can't remember what goal it was towards the end of last season. Crucial from set pieces when we attack. And so, uh, clearly blessed with a really bright footballing brain as well as organisational and positional sense and all the things that I don't really fully understand. But if you have to pick a leader, I think, and Worrell is Forrest through and through, and mm. I think he is, I think he actually is, 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 the, is, the, is the psycho spirit. And um, he's a really thoughtful, you know, so many of the current squad, we've interviewed quite a few of them on the podcast, really clever men, really bright, super bright, and are absolutely dedicated to getting Forrest promoted. They want it as much as the fans do. They genuinely want it. When you talk to Ryan Yates or Joe Worrell, they want it. You see that look in their eye and they want it as much as we do. And I just think we can be so proud of some of the players we've got at Forrest at the moment, particularly, I mean, Worrell is as Forrest as you get, isn't he? You don't get more Forrest than Joe Worrell. So I just hope he stays. And if he does go, I wouldn't begrudge him it at all. I was delighted that Matty Cash... You know, he's playing in the Premier League. I wish it was in a Forest shirt. I hope he gets to be part of the England setup because I just think he's so talented. And they've given us really good years, players like that. And, um, you know, they, they have to be ambitious for themselves as well. So I really hope Worrell stays. But if he goes, I think we can all be really proud of him wherever he goes on to. The last question I wanted to ask you, because I know you're a busy man. Um, 
what part does Forrest play in your life? Because you can listen to you now, you're a passionate person. And I guess that translates into politics. I think people either get into politics because they're passionate or they're power hungry. And I guess passionate <laughs> passion, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not power hungry at all. So what part does Forrest play in your life? If you were to write your, your life bio in terms of Twitter, would it be Forrest first, politics second, comedy third, that kind of thing? Um, I think it would be Forrest first, definitely. Maybe comedy second, because that's more... That's not what I actually do, whereas I don't do politics. I'm I'm passionate about it and I enjoy it. Um, but I'm more an observer. I mean, Forrest is my first love. And you do other things in your life and you find other passions. And, you know, even with politics, I love politics. But my relationship with the Labour Party has completely changed. Um, you don't fall out of love with your football club. It's you, you, you are basically born into it. And that's it for life. And that that loyalty to your club is unlike a loyalty you, you have to any other interest in your life, um, whether it's music or uh, a telly show or, you know, a political party, because you can't guarantee with politics that you'll always be there for them. Or, or more to the point, they'll always be there for you because, um, you know, parties go fucking insane. And that seems to happen more regularly now, sadly. Um, you could argue the same about football clubs, but of course... You, you can't choose. You can't. You can't go and choose to support another club. So, Forest for me is from the age of seven, a, a, a deep love and passion that that defines who I am. That I spend so much of my time thinking about Forest, about what's going to happen next season, about what's happened this season. Watching old videos of Pierce on YouTube and old Clough interviews, and wanting to be at the ground and looking at photos of it, and you know. Buying old shirts. It's uh, even now at the age of 38, just it, it, it occupies so much. There's not a day that goes by, obviously, when you don't think about it. So it's it, it would be really just, I think if it was a Twitter bar, it, it would just be forest first. And then everything else is, everything else is a distant second in terms of things like that. It's just, uh, it's the most special thing because in, in terms of like a hobby or an interest, but nothing else gives you that. You know, when you think about the moment, you know, if someone says, when are you happiest? People really judge football fans for this. If, if you're being totally honest, hand on heart, the moments of the sheer biggest excitement would have to be football moments because where in life, if you think of a goal, when 30,000 people all collectively lose their minds and start bouncing around, ah, that, that sheer explosion of absolute joy, that release of tension, even at the happiest moments of your life, the birth of a child, your wedding day, um, I don't know, winning an award or getting a promotion, getting a job, whatever it is, falling in love with someone. They're not the moments where it's like that. It's a specific type of outlet football and celebrating a goal or a promotion is a, or a cup final is a specific type of joy. And nowhere else in life do you have that place to be explosively joyous collectively there's literally nowhere else anywhere on the planet human beings have existed for god knows how long we have literally not found anything else in the history of human existence that makes us behave with the same unbridled joy as a goal does so when i think when people say what the happiest moments i'm like <laughs> getting promoted in 1994 finishing third in 1993 pierce's goal against spain Bang! There is nothing 
I've ever loved more as a single moment than that. And I still watch that. God knows how many times a week. That is, in a literal moment, the single most amazing thing that has had an effect. Like, it had a physical effect on my body that moment. And it still does, 25 years later. So football is completely different. And obviously within football, Forrester uh, are especially wonderful. So... Yeah, I just think football, you can't really compare anything else to it. It's a passion and a love like no other. And I just, obviously, we're all kind of in a relationship with Forrest and you want that relationship to be, you know, happy and functional. And that has to involve us being back in the Premier League. And wouldn't it be amazing to have that first season back at the city ground, to get everyone back through those turnstiles and to all be there and witnesses doing it. I just can't think of anything better. It would be the best year of our lives. And I just I just hope that's how it pans out. Hopefully so. And a perfect note to end our conversation on. Um, thanks very much to Matt and everyone who listens along. We'll be back uh, next week with another special. And do please leave us a good uh, comment and review because it does help us get up the rankings ahead of Reservoir Red Dogs. In the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> a very Cheers, good Matt. podcast. But thanks very much, Matt. And thanks very much, everyone. We'll be back soon.